You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardinbaptist.org. Amen. Well, if you do have your Bibles, please go to 2 Peter chapter 3. And I don't know about you, but the last two weeks, I've got a reoccurring question, and that is, hey, pastor, do you see what's going on in the Middle East? Does this mean the end is near? And you might have got that same question. Hey, does this mean, sounds like prophecy, sounds like things are happening, does this mean the end is coming? And the reason people are probably asking you that question is because when we look at our Bibles, there is an end. Jesus returns and there is a judgment. So we know the end is coming and there are different views on when and how that will happen. So I want to put the four typical views uh, of the end times, and it'll make sense when we go into our text because Peter is talking about the return of Christ. So uh, four views that most Christians fit into. The first one is all millennialism, uh, which is, by the way, the view I hold. Uh, There's no literal, open, visible, hundred-year reign of Christ on the earth. So we're not waiting for the millennium to happen. Um, It seems to be the New Testament writers agree that we're in the last days right now. That Acts 2, Jesus is on the throne right now, ruling over the world through his people, the church. So we're not waiting for that. We are in the last days right now. And when Christ returns, it's game over. And he's not predictable. It's like a thief in the night, Peter will tell us. So you're not going to wait and get charts out. You're going to be ready. Because guess what? Christ is coming back. So that's one view. Second would be post-millennialism. This is that the world is going to get exceedingly better. Things are just going to get better and better and better. And they're going to be a golden age of Christianity where the whole world is basically one to Christ. And then Christ will return. It seems like that's probably not going to happen if you just look at the news. But maybe this is your view and that's perfectly fine. Historical premillennialism. This is Christ will return physically and visibly to usher in the millennia reign. So there's going to be a thousand years where Christ is going to come. He's going to sit on his throne in Israel. There's going to be a thousand years. And then that's going to usher in the new kingdom. And then you have dispensationalism, which is another uh, view of premillennialism. And it's the millennium reign of Christ will begin after his return at the end of a dis- seven-year period known as the tribulation. So there's going to be this seven-year period of tribulation, um, and depending on how you see it, Christ is going to come a secret second time, and he's going to take out the church, leave Israel, and there's going to be seven years tribulation. He's going to come either before or mid or after, and there's different views in this one view, but he's going to deal with the church in Israel distinctively different. So this view really sees the church in Israel as distinct where it seems to be, in my view, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, the church in Israel are now, those who believe in Christ, the church is the new Israel. That Israelites who are believers in Christ are part of the church. But for you, this might be still the view that you hold. So if that is the case, then things like the last two weeks get you wondering. Is this it? Is this the tribulation? Are things about to happen? Is the rapture coming? So you get the question a lot, is the end near when things in the news surrounding Israel? So I just want to answer the question, is the end near in light of what's happening in Israel? And I want to say this, yes, the end is near. Then when you look at the news, you can be certain the end is near. But I will say three weeks ago, the end was near. And two years ago, the end was near. 
And 500 years ago, the end was near. 2,000 years ago, when Peter wrote this letter, guess what? The end was near. That's the crux of the New Testament. That Christ is going to come back. We are in the last days. The end is near. Therefore, be ready. Christ can come back at any moment, so be ready. So when we look at these four views, you probably hold one, or maybe you're like, I don't know any of those, it's okay. So we can disagree and debate these different views, that's perfectly fine. As Christians, you can say, well, I don't believe that view, I believe this view. That's fine, we can argue, we can talk, we can debate, no problem. We can debate these things and still be Christians together. These four things aren't things we divide on. We can argue about when and how he's coming back. The one thing we can't argue about as Christians is that he is coming back. Like, that's the one dividing point. Like, if you in here are like, you know, I actually don't think Christ is going to return. Well, then we're going to divide. We're going to say, well, we're not Christians together. We can't have Christian fellowship. But if you say, hey, I'm an all-millennialist, great. I'm a post-trip, great. Like, whatever you want to believe on, you have to get this right. This is the major, that Jesus is coming back and there will be judgment. That's what we all need to agree on as believers. So what we're going to do is we dive into 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter's going to have an obvious question. And that is, was Christ is coming back or is he? Like, it seems like it's been a bit. And think about... Peter is writing like years after Christ ascended into heaven. And the mockers are already saying like, hey, where's your Jesus? He said he was coming back and he's not here. It seems like he's delating. Did he get lost? Like, where's he at? That was like a few years. We're dealing with 2,000 years. So we have that same question posed to us. Hey, um, where's that Jesus guy? He hasn't came back yet. Do you think he might have forgot about you or left you or he's not coming back? So here's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to see God's good delay. That it's actually good that God has delayed. And here's the big idea that I hope you take home. God is not slow. God is good. The reason he hasn't came back yet, the reason Jesus hasn't came back yet, is not because he's not good. It's, because, it, it's, because, it's not because he's slow, it's because he's good. He is patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all to repent and believe in his son, Jesus. So yeah, Christ hasn't came back yet, but it's not because God is slow. It's because he's patient and good, and he wants you to repent, and he wants your friends to repent. So let's look at how Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, go there, and if you would stand out of reverence for the word of God... We're going to read verses 1 through 10. We're probably not going to preach all the way through 10, but we're going to get as far as we can. Here's what the Word of God says. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact. 
that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that existed was deluged with water and perished. And by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That, the, that to the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should repent, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done in them will be exposed. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for your word. Let us this morning believe with all of our hearts that Christ is coming back. Therefore, it matters how we live. And Christ's delay, it's not because you're slow. It's because you're good. You want us to repent and you want us to tell our friends that they need repentance too. We pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. You guys may be seated. So we're going to deal with five lies that these scoffers say about the return of Christ. And it's all around, he's not really coming back. He's not really coming. Just do whatever you want. So lie number one is this. Jesus isn't coming back. Just, he's not coming back. I don't know what happened. You got misinformed. You misread the prophecies. He's actually not coming back. Look back down with me in verse 1. It says this, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. So he's writing a second letter. That's probably why it's called Second Peter. Uh, he's wrote the first letter. We probably believe that was First Peter, which we preached before Second Peter. Now he's writing them a second letter, and he calls them beloved. So he loves these people. He would have a relationship with these people. These are probably people that he's seen come to Christ, baptized, walking with the Lord, going on mission, living out the gospel. He loves the people that he's writing to. They are his beloved congregation that he's giving this letter to. And here's what he says to them. These are the purpose of both of his letters. He says this, in both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. So in both letters, he's reminding these people with a sincere mind, they have a faith in the Lord Jesus, he's stirring them up so that they would remember what they know. We've talked about this, you don't always need to know more, you need to remember what you know. Because we often forget the gospel, we forget the goodness of God, so he's trying to stir us up to remember, and that's what the letter is doing to us this morning, it's stirring up to remember, notice in verse 2, here's what we should remember. That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the command of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? So I want to remind you, here's what scoffers are going to say. The Lord's not coming back. So I want to remind you, I want to stir you up to remember that the Lord is coming back. And he uses, as Kent Hughes says, this threefold cord to remind them. He says, notice, here's the reminder. You have the prophets. Those will be those Old Testament scriptures that are prophesying 
there is going to be a return of the Messiah and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and a new kingdom. You have that information from the prophets that the Messiah is going to deal with your sin, but the Messiah is king and he's going to have a new heaven and a new earth that you are going to dwell in. So you have those prophecies, but then he says also you have the commands of the Lord and Savior. So you have the commands of Jesus. Like Jesus, when he was with you on earth, he would say things like, hey guys, I'm going away, but I'm going to prepare a place for you and then I'm coming back and I'm taking you with me. Like I'm gonna prepare a place. Like we're gonna be together forever. So the Lord Jesus, when he left, he says, hey, I'm coming back. So the king told us, that he's going to come back. He's going to bring his kingdom on this earth. But then we have the commands of Jesus through the apostles. So what does this mean? The commands of Jesus through the apostles. Now we're dealing with the preached word of God. The apostles, they take the Bible, they take the things Jesus said, and they preach them to the congregation to remind them that Christ is coming back. So you have the Old Testament, you have Jesus, and you have preaching that's all stirring you up to remember Christ is coming back, therefore you should live in light of that. So he's trying to stir them up to these different things. And notice because, well, the scoffers, they're going to say there is no coming. And if you think about just the, just the book of Acts, the story of the first church, and so in our hardened men's groups, if you're in a hardened discipleship group, um, we've been reading through the New Testament and we just got done with Acts. And so it's fresh on my mind. And it's amazing, the very beginning of Acts, Luke writes, and he talks about Jesus, who spent 40 days before his ascension, and you know what he taught about? The kingdom of God. This idea that he's the king, that the kingdom has come, and it is coming. That he taught for 40 days the kingdom of God. And then, in verse 9 of chapter 1, Jesus ascends to heaven, and all the disciples, they're just looking up at him like, that's cool. And these angels come beside him. They said, um, hey, stop gawking into heaven. That guy who just ascended, he's coming back. Get to work, basically, is what the angels say. So these angels said, hey, Christ who ascended, he's coming back. The God who went to heaven, he is coming back for you. And then the very end of the book, Acts 28, the very last thing said about Paul is for two years he's in Rome. And you know what he's teaching about? The kingdom of God. That, hey, our king left, but he's coming back and he's going to set up his kingdom in a new earth, in a new heavens where we will reign with God forever. This idea of remembering this, not just part of the gospel, but remembering the whole gospel. I was in my office counseling with two boys that had came to Christ and this usually happens if somebody comes to Christ, they have to meet with one of the pastors to talk through their salvation before we go to baptism. So I'm in my office, and it's a dad and, and two boys, and we're talking about their salvation. And so it starts out with, okay, tell me your testimony. So they both did. And then after the testimony, I ask what I always ask. Okay, now tell me what is the gospel? And so both the boys and one way or another said, Jesus died for my sins. And I'm like, Absolutely. Like, yes, that is the gospel. Christ died for your sins. And the dad kind of perked up. And he, he, he's in ministry too. And he said, and? And the boys kind of looked up at him like, and? And they're like, and he rose from the dead. And the dad's like, yes, don't leave Jesus in the grave. 
Like, that's the God. It's not just he died for your sins, it's he also rose from the dead. Don't leave Jesus in the grave. And then I said, and? And all three of them just kind of looked at me like, and what? I said, well, if you're not going to leave Jesus in the grave, also don't leave him in heaven. Because the gospel is not just Christ died and rose again. The gospel is, and he's in heaven and he's coming back. He's coming back to bring his kingdom. That the gospel is not just God saved you so now you can live a saved life. The gospel is God saved you to be in his kingdom and the kingdom of righteousness is going to dwell and you're going to live with him forevermore. See, that's the whole gospel. And that's what Peter wants to remind these Christians of. Don't forget that Christ is coming back because the scoffers, here's what they're going to say. Here is lie number one. Jesus is not coming back, so just enjoy life. Whatever makes you happy, whatever your flesh wants, determine your own life, make your own decisions. Don't worry about Jesus. He's actually not coming back. But we've got a people that remember the whole gospel. Christ promised he's coming back and he will come back. Lie number two is this. Right now is forever. That's line number two. Look with me in verse four. It says this, for ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So here's the second argument the scoffers make. Look, you can just see like every day is kind of the same. Like sun comes up, sun sets, You can look at your calendar. Like if you flip through your iPhone calendar, you can go to like years in the future. Like they're all there. They're going to be there because here is forever. It's always going to be here. There's never going to be a tomorrow. It's always going to be a tomorrow because today is forever. Now is forever. There's not this last days. There's not this transition where this world's going to end and there's going to be a new reality with God. The world has been existing ever since the fathers fell asleep. It's going to exist since we fall asleep and our grandkids fall asleep. It's just going to keep going. Right now is forever. So just live for now. And what we've been trying to get, the whole point of preaching through Second Peter is to tell you right now is not forever right now counts forever. That we're actually in those last days, the New Testament would say, and the last days as we're living in them, they count forever. And there's going to be judgment that right now, what we do with our lives and in our bodies and what we do with the gospel, it counts forever. So the world's not going to eternally last forever, though you think it is. Like we've planned vacation in the future. We've already planned out our week. We just know it's going to happen. It's just routine. And that's not a bad thing, but we have to remember that might not be the case. The end might be today. I think as a kid, like the first time I really thought about it was the, the movie Independence Day. You remember that one where like the aliens came and took over? And it's like, whoa, there might be aliens that come. And then it was Armageddon was like the other movie that was like, oh, man. Not only aliens, but we have asteroids. Like, what? What? I thought I was safe. I thought everything was good. Then we got these movies. They're like, ah. And then you watch, like, you know, King Kong. And like all these things. Like, oh, man, we could get taken over at any time. Like, even as a culture, we don't believe the world is going to be forever. Like, global warming, something is going to happen. We're going to get extinct. The world's going to blow up. Like, we have all of these apocalyptic movies because we, in a sense, know 
There's an end and it's coming, and we're not really sure what's going to happen in the end. Well, we as Christians actually know what's going to happen in the end. Christ is coming back and there's going to be judgment. So we of all people should be ready and living, not just for today, but living in light of eternity. See, the truth is, right now is not forever, but right now counts for forever. Line number three is this. God doesn't intervene. God doesn't intervene with his creation. He made it. He's like the watchmaker. He set it in motion, and now he's just hanging out somewhere else, not paying attention to what's going on on the planet. And he's definitely not meddling with what's going on on the planet. Notice what it says in verse 5. For they deliberately overlooked this fact. So they're lying. They're twisting this fact. Here's the fact. That the heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. So the argument is, hey, yeah, God, it's just forever. God doesn't intervene. Everything's going to keep on going. And he says, um, that's not true. God is the creator who made the world. And he's also the God who intervenes and judges the world. And so then he gets this picture of water and the word. And so he's bringing us back to the fact that God is the creator and that God fashioned both the heavens and the earth. And he pulls this idea of water and the word from the Genesis account. So let's go back to Genesis. If you want to go to Genesis chapter 1, we will look at where Peter gets this idea of water and the word. Genesis 1, 1 through 3 says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So first of all, what Peter is not saying is, God created the world out of water. Like God was like, minding his own business, and he's like, oh, there's water. What can I do with water? Maybe I could create a world and heavens out of water. That's not what God did, because what we see is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we see is that God is the creator. Everything else is creation. So God created everything out of nothing. He spoke into existence all that we see. He didn't use materials like we do. Like if we build stuff, we need like lumber and nails and concrete. We need materials to build with. God created his own materials. So God created the heavens and the earth. But then what we're going to see is God decided to create it in a way where he chose to first create a formless void and then to fashion it in a particular way in order to form things and fill things so that it would build up to this sixth day where he creates us in his image. But we're not going to preach on all that today. We're just going to show that what God did in using this material that he created, primarily waters. So if you look in verse 6 of Genesis, it says this. This is the heavens. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning the second day. So God 
is he created this formless void and there's water in his creation and now he's taking the water and he's separating these waters to create the heaven. So he's using the word and he's using water to create the heavens is what we see in Genesis 1. But not only is he creating the heavens with water and the word, but now he's going to create the earth with water and the word. So notice what it says in verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. And let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. So here we find God now creating the earth. And he first creates it chaos, voidless. And then now he is taking his tapestry that he created and he's weaving it into a beautiful masterpiece. He is a a sculptor who is making this beautiful sculpture and he is the creator that's making creation. And so Peter is trying to bring that imagery to say, you're telling me God doesn't intervene with his creation? God intimately created the world. He is the creator who made all things and he used his word and water to form and separate and make the heavens and the earth. So he's using that imagery of water and the word in his creation and he's using that because now he's going to say, guess what? God also used those same two things to judge the earth. Notice back in 2 Peter, we'll finish our verse, it says, and that by means of these, what is that water in the word? The world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. So what's he talking about there? He's talking about the Noah story. Remember the Noah story, Genesis 6, where everything is just corrupt. Everyone is corrupt. Everyone's doing what they want. Their sinful desires are rampant. And the world has literally gone away from God. And God decides to judge, to cleanse the world. So he has Noah build a boat. Because he's going to both judge the world and save the world at the same time. He judges the world and he saves eight persons. And Peter's saying, remember that. These people are saying, God doesn't intervene. God leaves you alone. God lets you do whatever you want. No, God created the world intimately, and God also intervened and judged the world when sin was so rampant. He will also do it again. So he's trying to remind them. And we need to remember that God intervenes and God does judge. I mean, we need such a reminder that we actually built the boat Right? Like, like we in Kentucky, like we needed, some, like we actually like, you know what? We need to remember this. Let's actually build Noah's Ark and let's have people come. Like my kid, Crowder, he got to go last week to Noah's Ark and I haven't been there yet. So I'm like, take pictures. This is like, we had to build the boat to remember, oh yeah, God judged the world. You can go drive and see it and like eat popcorn and be like, oh yeah, that's the boat. Cool. And here's the petting zoo and That's how much like we need to remember. Like we're so forgetful that we actually have to build the boat to like, oh yeah, there's judgment coming. But but also, like in the Noah's Ark story, we remember it, but often remember it kind of odd and wrong because a lot of us will like make our nurseries into like Noah's Ark. You have like a little boat, like little animals spinning, and it's like, really? Like you want your so you want your kid to go to bed looking at a boat. And remembering that all around them are floating dead bodies. Like if your nursery is Noah's Ark, there's a reason your kid's not sleeping. 
They have nightmares, right? There's bodies floating. Like this is, it is not a good picture. It is judgment. God judged the world. We have to remember that. And God created the world, but he also judged the world. He intervenes in the world. And guess what? He's going to intervene again. He is intervening again. That's why we prayed at the beginning of service. We can't do anything, but God can do something. God is the God who intervenes. We cry out to him to move and to act. The truth is God acts in creation. God intervenes, God acts, and he will do it again. Line number four is this. God won't judge the world. Yeah, he intervenes. He did that in Noah's day. We got the boat. We've seen it. But really, he won't do it again because we've now seen God is all love, no wrath, no justice. He's just going to let everybody do what they want. But that's not true. Here's what we see in verse 7. But by the same word... The heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So God says he once destroyed the world by his word and by water. He's promised not to do it again. We have rainbows in the sky that shows he's not going to flood the world again. But now he is going to judge the world again, and it's going to be by his word and by fire. That the world that exists right now and all of its fallenness and sinfulness, it will face judgment just like Noah's day faced judgment. And we're going to see in the next weeks is this judgment by fire, it is not an annihilation of the earth and then God makes a new one. Because in the Noah account, it says the earth perished. Well, it didn't perish. It wasn't annihilated. Instead, it was was cleansed. The the sinful marks were removed, and now there was a new beginning. That's how God is going to fashion the new heavens and the new earth. It's not new in a sense of nothing we've ever seen. It is this earth refashioned, cleansed, remade through fire to become what it was supposed to be in the beginning. The garden that we once lived in is the garden city we will live in into the future. And we're going to see that play out. But for now, we have to believe this reality that God actually does judge the world. That God does judge. He, he is going to judge. And he's going to judge the ungodly. I mean, Jesus himself talked about this in Matthew, particularly 25. So there's these, these ten virgins with their lamps and... Some of them are ready, some of them are not. And what does Jesus say? Hey, I'm going to come like a thief. You're not going to know. You're not going to know the day. You're not going to know the hour. So what do you do? You get ready. You stay ready because I'm coming at a moment that you don't know. So be ready. And then he talks about these people who had various talents and some used them, some didn't. And because the ones who didn't were so afraid that they might misuse them, that they hid them. The reality is they didn't really believe the master was actually going to come back and call them into account. So they got cast out. So, so it's all like, do we really live in light of his return? And then he talks about that final judgment. And that final judgment, he talks about this separation between sheep and goats. And that people are going to come to him and there's going to be those who believed in him. 
Those who their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life because they've confessed Christ. They've, they've identified with him as their Savior and Lord. And they are going to be sheep that go to his right hand and get to go into the kingdom forevermore. But there are those that haven't repented and believed. They're not sheep, they're goats. And they're going to go to the left and they're going to be cast out into utter darkness. They're going to be away from God forever. I mean, why would Jesus tell a story like that? Why would he tell us that, that there's going to be goats that go left because he doesn't want you to perish? He wants you to be a sheep that goes right. He wants you to be a person that's in the kingdom because you've repented and believed in the gospel. See, the lie is God won't judge. He's all love, all grace, all compassion. Do whatever you want. It's all going to work out in the end. It's not true. God is a good God. He is a just God, and he must act rightly, which means he must punish sin. So either you're going to have your sins punished forever in hell away from God, or you're going to have your sins punished on the cross of Christ, one-time event that leads you into the presence of God forever. There's judgment coming. The fifth lie is this. God forgot us. The fifth lie that scoffers want you to believe is God forgot us. Somehow he got lost, like when he put in on his Maps app, it said Earth, and it was like, can't find, didn't have service, like heaven's a long way away, so he, just, he can't get to us. Somehow he's distracted, he's sleeping, he's, he's somewhere else, but he's actually not coming back for you. God is slow, God is delayed. But I want you to remember is God is not slow, God is good. And the reason he is delayed is because he wants you to repent. Notice what Peter writes, verse 8. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So notice what he says. That first of all, don't overlook this fact that to God, God doesn't work on your timetable. Like we have really clear time, like look at our watch, we have our calendar app, like we are on days and hours, we know how to track days and hours, and but Peter says, some of you think God's slow, but God doesn't work on your timetable. As Brother Lee likes to say, God is outside of time and inside time at the same time. Like God, God, God knows the beginning from the end. That's why he can write Revelation, because he knows how the end is going to be. He has it from the beginning. He is looking out on all of time at the same time. That makes him eternal. He's not bound to time, so he's not following your calendar. So to Peter's people, they're like, hey, it's been like 20 years. He still hasn't came back. And Peter's like, listen, 20 years is like nothing to God. In fact, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. God's not working on your timetable. Now for us, it's been 2,000 years. So how much more do we have scoffers saying, hey, I think God forgot about you. I think he got lost. I don't think he's coming back. I think you can just do whatever you want now. Like, I think you can be safe and realize that gospel thing, it wasn't true. It says he's coming back, he hasn't came. Well, in one sense, it's been 2,000 years. That's a long time. You know, in one sense, how long it's been to God? Two days. Two days. 
Like that's it. That's not much time. So we can't count God slow because we have him on our calendar. He doesn't operate like us. He's creator, not creation. Not only is he not working on our time, but we can't count him slow to fulfill his promises. As some count slowness. Why? Because he's intentionally being patient towards you. He's not slow, he's good. Why is he delaying? Why has Christ not came back? That's the question Peter is dealing with, and he answers it. The reason why Christ hasn't came back is because he wants you to repent. I mean, just look at the goodness of God. But his patience towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I mean, that's what the word of God says to us. He is patient towards us because he doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to repent. That Christ loves you. He is patient with you. He is long-suffering with you. He is putting up with you. And you know you're allowed to put up with. Yeah, amen to me too. He's putting up with you. Why? Because he wants you to repent and come in the kingdom. He doesn't want you to perish. He doesn't take pleasure in people perishing. He wants all to come to saving knowledge of him. So he's patient, he's long-suffering. He wants you to repent. So my question to you is this, have you repented? Have you repented and believed in the gospel? Like, what does that even mean? What does it mean to repent? Well, first of all, it, it's you realizing that, that you are sinful and you are lost. And what that means is that you could be a very good sinner or a very bad sinner. Like being a sinner can go either way. A very good sinner is you're very religious, you try really hard, you have a really good family, you work really hard, you're living, you're doing everything right, but it's for self-righteousness. It's for your own ticket into heaven. And that's fig leaves that you're putting on and covering up to make yourself look good, but still you're the God of your own life and you have your own righteousness to show before God. That righteousness is like filthy rags. So some of us have to repent of our goodness. Hey, my goodness is actually just my goodness, and my goodness is no good before God. I need the goodness of Christ, perfect goodness. So have you repented? It's to repent from yourself, your life. I've either done really good or really bad, but it's been all me all the time. I've been the Lord of my life, and what I need to do is I need to turn from me. I'm repenting. I'm turning from being Lord of my own life, and I'm turning to the Lord Jesus. I want his righteousness rather than my own. I want him to forgive my rebellion rather than staying in it. I want him to be Lord and King of my life rather than me. That's what repentance looks like. It's turning from you and turning to Jesus because you believe who Jesus says he is. That he is God who became a man, he lived the life you couldn't, he died the death you deserve, and on a cross, God made this beautiful exchange. Your sin for his righteousness. He made the exchange. And the exchange happens when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When you believe, you say, yes, I believe Christ died for my sins. He was buried, but three days later he rose again for my justification and he's in heaven and he's coming back to be my king and bring, him into, bring me into his kingdom forevermore. I'm saying yes to that. 
I want that more than I want this world. I want that more than I want me. So I'm repenting, I'm turning, and I'm trusting in Christ. And when that happens, you will be born again into the kingdom of God. And you will have hope and reconciliation back with God. The reason why Christ has not came back is because he wants you to repent. He doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to have everlasting life with him. So my question is, have you repented? And some of you are saying, yep, I have. I remember the day. I remember it well. Now I'm walking with Jesus and life's been better. If you have repented, then here's the second question. Do you know someone who needs to repent? Like, do you know a family member, a friend, someone that you work with, someone that you rub shoulders with, a stranger that you meet? Do you know someone who hasn't repented and believed in the Lord? Why has Christ not came back? Because he wants that person to repent and come into the knowledge of Jesus and have salvation. What's keeping that person? Well, first, they need to hear the gospel. They need to hear what Christ did for them on the cross. And who better to tell them than you? You obviously know them. You're around them. You have favor with them. You're in a circle with them. Why not you be the one that tells them the best news in the world that could change their life forever? See, why hasn't Christ came back? He's not slow. He's good. He's waiting for you to repent. Or he's waiting for the people that you know to repent. And you know how they need to repent? They need to hear the gospel from you. That you might be someone that carries the message of Jesus to them. And it's messy, it's hard, it's awkward. It always is. But you know, it's never as awkward as I think it's going to be. Like when I, when I share with somebody, I always think it's like going to be just the most awkward train wreck in the world. They're going to hate me, they're going to spit at me, they're going to punch me, they're going to cast me out. And it's never went that way. Like, they haven't always agreed, but it's like semi-friendly. Like, you're probably not going to get punched in the face when you share with someone you love the gospel. So we always imagine, like, the worst-case scenario. Like, they're, they're going to just, it's going to be bad. Well, it might be awkward, but it's probably not going to be as bad as you think it is. So what if you just leaned in and prayed this week for an opportunity to share with someone that you know who needs to repent and believe in Christ? What if you started there? Just pray. God, just give me an opportunity. Break my heart for this person. Give me an opportunity to share. I'm just going to pray that every day this week and see what happens. You know, if you pray that every week, you know what's probably going to happen? You're going to find some opportunity where that person's going to be in your path and you're going to have a moment to actually share the gospel with them. Because you know why Christ has come back? Because he wants sinners to repent. Either you're a sinner and needs to repent or you know sinners that need to repent. So what does that mean for us as the church? We do like those people in Acts who are gawking up at heaven Wondering about like charts and times and, and when's he coming? Does this mean? Does this mean? Does this mean when and where and how? And instead of thinking about what, the what is Christ is coming back. And it's like, notice what the text says. It's the day of the Lord will be like a thief. You know what that means? Peter's saying you're not going to know when it's going to happen. Like, you know what thieves don't do? They don't call you. Like, have you ever noticed that? I don't know if you've been broken in before, but they don't call you. They're not like, hey, guess what? Um, I'm going to be at your house about 10 o'clock. You're going to see my red vehicle. It's going to pull in. I'm just going to share my, like, uh, Life 360 with you so you can track my car. And you're going to know about when I pull in, and I'm just going to rob everything you have. So I'm just letting you know, Life 360, you, we're friends now. Log in. When I get there, you'll know what to do, and you'll have time to, like, get all your stuff out. Is that what thieves do? No, thieves don't warn you. Thieves just come 
It's the element of surprise that a thief is counting on. So Jesus is not saying, hey, I'm a thief that's going to come rob you. He says, I'm coming in my second return in the judgment. I'm coming like a thief. You can't prepare for it. Your charts don't equip you for it. I'm going to come and you're not going to be able to predict it. It's going to happen. And when it happens, it's too late. It's the end. It's over. So what does that mean? Today is the day of salvation. Right now. What well, is all this stuff happening in the Middle East? Does it mean the end is near? Yes. It does mean it's near. 500 years ago, it was near. In Peter's day, it was near. It's always been near. Christ is coming like a thief, and when he comes back, it's game over. So don't wait and prepare. Right now, repent and believe in the gospel. And plead with your friends, plead with your family to repent and believe in the gospel because we are not promised tomorrow. I know on your iPhone, you've got tomorrow all charted out. It's not promised. Jesus might come back today. And it's judgment and eternity. Are you prepared and are your friends prepared for the return of Christ? The scoffers say there's no return and there's no judgment. The Bible says there's a return and there is judgment. So be ready and get ready and make sure those you love and know are getting ready and are ready. Let's pray together. Father, we want to come to you acknowledging that there are people in here who need to repent and believe in the gospel. God, I pray that no one would leave this room without repenting and believing in the gospel. It's turning from self, trusting in Christ, what he did on the cross for their sins. God, if there are people in here who need help with that, we are here for them. I'll hang around after service. There are Sunday school teachers and small group leaders and men and women in this room who would love to talk to them about Christ, help them find someone to sit down and talk about repenting and believing in the gospel. God, we pray right now over our friends and family who don't know you that in light of Jesus coming back, we would do what we were meant to do, and that is share the best news in the world to people who desperately need it. So bring names and faces to our minds right now. As we prepare to say in a moment, we're not dismissed, we're sent. Let us mean that. Let us actually go to lost people and share with them the best news in the world. Christ is coming back and you can have life with him forevermore. So God, help us to repent and help us to tell those who need to repent. We pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardinbaptist.org.